This gospel message is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Hour, a ministry of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, a Reformed denomination that strives to be faithful to the Word of God and the historic confessions of the Reformed faith, also known as Calvinism. In love for our great God, we proclaim the Christian faith and life that is founded on God's sovereign particular grace. As God's Word is expounded, we pray that these messages are a blessing to you. Do you look and hope for the second coming of Jesus Christ? The vast majority of people, even in the church, do not believe in, much less look for, a coming Christ. Well, Exactly the same thing was true in the Old Testament. Very few looked in hope for the first coming of Jesus, that is, his birth. The possibility of his coming looked bleak at times for those few believers who yet looked for their coming Messiah. The cause of Jehovah and of his anointed at times seemed as if it were dead. How would God possibly make the way straight for that coming? In the prophet Isaiah's day, that was the question in the hearts of the elect few that yet looked for redemption in Zion. The ten northern tribes of Israel had just been taken captive by the Assyrian kingdom. They had been scattered throughout that empire. Though it was true that the Assyrian armies had been turned away by God from the gates of Jerusalem, but for how long? Not many people, even in Judah, were looking anymore for the coming Messiah. The way that led to the revelation of the glorious Messiah seemed all but closed and impossible. The prophet Isaiah spoke the word of his prophecy during these trying times, and many times he referred to the birth of Christ. During this Advent season, I want to consider a few verses out of Isaiah's prophecy that heralded the coming Messiah. We begin by meditating a few moments on Isaiah 40, verses 4 and 5. We read in these verses, Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. How do these verses have anything to do with the birth of Jesus? They definitely are a word of promise that God spoke to his people then of the coming Messiah. When Isaiah speaks of the glory of the Lord being revealed, then he is in reality referring to the coming of Jesus Christ. The beauty of these verses is that they answer the question, how did God make possible the first coming of Jesus Christ in his birth? That is a pertinent question as we remember the birth of Christ in this season of the year. The prophet Isaiah in verses 4 and 5 of Isaiah 40 accurately describes the particular way along which God led his church in the Old Testament. Bear in mind that Isaiah is here speaking to Jerusalem, that is, the Old Testament church. More particularly, he spoke to the faithful few in the church, 
who yet clung to God's promise and therefore looked for the coming Messiah. The prophet is here assuring them that the glory of the Lord would be revealed to them when the Messiah appeared. That was God's promise to them. To assure them of this, however, Isaiah had to explain to them the way God had, and yet was, leading his church then unto the fulfillment of that promise. He uses the figure of verse 4 to do so. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. Isaiah here uses the figure of valleys and mountains, of steep and rocky places, and of crooked and treacherous ways to describe the path that was leading now to the coming of the Messiah. Let's use an example that might help us. Quite a few years ago now, I traveled by car from Loveland, Colorado, in the north, to the San Luis Valley in the south. In those days, we did not have a GPS. Instead, we followed a map to our destination. The end of my trip was the beautiful San Luis Valley. But to get to that destination, I had to drive for hours through the mountain range of the Rocky Mountains. What I did not see clearly on my map is that in order to reach the valley, I had to travel up and down many hills and mountains, through many valleys, around many crooked and steep places. All this lay between where I was in Loveland and my final destination in the Valley of San Luis. Now, this is really a rather simple description of what Isaiah is talking about here, because, after all, we took it by car, and we did it upon paved highways. And Isaiah is not describing that. The way that led the church in Isaiah's day to the coming of the Savior was that of mountains and hills that one must walk. In many places there would be sharp turns and valleys. In other places the way would be crooked or literally rugged and jagged, places with steep and dangerous gorges. Still in other parts of her journey, she would confront rough places, that is, places that were rocky, almost impossible to pass. This was the way God chose to lead his church to the advent, or the coming of her Savior in his birth. All this before God would reveal his glory to his people in the face of that Messiah. Now, we want to explain this imagery a little more in detail so we can understand the comfort of this word of Isaiah to the church then. We have here really a beautiful picture. You see, the church in the Old Testament had received from God the promise of the Messiah. God had told her since Adam already, since before the flood, mind you, that this Messiah would come to destroy the power of sin and Satan, and restore God's people unto God's favor and fellowship. God's people throughout the Old Testament period lived in that faith and hope, therefore. There would come a time in history, they knew, that the promised Savior would be born to the church and would save his people from the sin into which they had fallen in Adam. But God's people had lived in that faith 
for thousands of years already. What made them think that Christ would actually be born? Well, the same thing that makes us so assured that Christ is coming again. We know and believe that everything according to God's counsel and perfect plan must be worked out in exact detail before Christ returns. The same was true of the saints then. The birth of Christ was the destination the church looked for. She knew it was there. She knew Christ would come. But at times she forgot that she as a church had to cross many mountains and valleys, had to walk through some pretty rugged and difficult ways, had to travel through rough places where it seemed impossible that Christ would really come. In other words, there were many obstacles the church would confront and had confronted before the Messiah would be born. This had happened many times already. Look at the church prior to the flood. There were only eight souls left in the church at the time God sent the flood. The way for the church was rough, and yet God delivered her. Observe the way of God with his church in Egypt and through the wilderness. Certainly the times were difficult. There were countless mountains and hills and valleys through which the church had traveled. There were times when Israel's men fell in battle before the enemy. There were times when the church lived far from God and his commandments. But God brought them to Canaan. In fact, the very time when Isaiah prophesied was one of those deep, deep valleys through which the church now walked. Isaiah had prophesied concerning the doom and destruction of the nation of Judah who persistently walked in her sin. God's people were told of the captivity that yet waited this nation in which they lived. The way that lay ahead yet seemed treacherous and dangerous for the church. Would Christ actually be born? Or would the faith of the children of God fade and die before that time? So the saints saw Christ's coming. They knew they were traveling toward that end. But they did not see all the hills and valleys and all the crooked and rough ways in between them and that coming. That could, and I'm sure was, discouraging. We ought to note as well, especially in light of verse 3 of this chapter, that the one obstacle that created many of these difficult ways through which the church walked was her own sin. How often Israel had sinned against her God. How how often she had despised God's covenant, refusing to obey and follow Him. And yet, in all of this, when God could have, and should have, from a human point of view, turned away and forsaken His people, He did not. He remained faithful to them and never swayed from His purpose to send the Messiah that he had promised. I mean, if we were to look at the nation of Judah, even during this time in which Isaiah lived, how few there were that yet truly longed for and waited for the coming Messiah. The vast majority of the people of the church were church only in name and not in spirit. They cared very little about sin and salvation from that sin. 
But instead of turning away, God had repeatedly sent obstacles in her journey. He had chastened her and tried her sorely. God had forced her to her knees oftentimes in sorrow and repentance. Ah, the mountains and valleys, the crooked and rough places that led the church to the birth of Christ. That is why the words spoken here in Isaiah 40 were of such comfort for God's people. Here was the assurance that when the way looked its darkest, when the path that led to Christ's coming seemed absolutely impossible, God would reach forth his hand of mercy and bring the Messiah. In the darkest hour of the church, when it seemed that all faith had died out in the earth, God would not forsake or leave his people or his church, though she might even deserve it. He would always remain faithful to his promise. God swore an oath, you see. He swore an oath to keep covenant with his people. And the only way of keeping that oath was through the coming Messiah. Christ must be born, therefore. And God would make that possible. He would do that by making straight in the mountains and valleys of the earth a highway for the coming of Christ. God would be sure to make the humanly impossible way possible for his church. He would see to it that every valley was exalted, that is, made high. At the same time, he would see to it that every mountain and hill was made low. In other words, God would level the way, bringing the mountains down and raising the valleys up until they formed level and even ground. The same is true of the crooked and jagged paths. Instead of winding this way and that, God would make these ways straight. No more ups, no more downs, no more winding here and there, and no more rough and rocky places. No more climbing over rocks and stumbling over deep crevices. The rough places would be turned into a plain, flat and even. What a beautiful description of what God would do for the church in order to bring about the coming of her Messiah. Those who yet looked in faith for the birth of Christ had much to look forward to, just as we do today as we look for the second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of time. As I passed through the mountains to the San Luis Valley, suddenly the road leveled out, and I found myself on a straight and smooth road that led me to my destination quickly and easily. As we look for Christ's return today, we know the many signs that indicate his return suddenly will all come together, and the way will be made straight and sure for the return of Christ. And as the saints look forward to the initial coming of Christ, they too are told in our text that all of a sudden all the crooked ways that seem to be the lot of the church would be straightened. God would bring all these ways together, and swift would be the coming of the Messiah. Beautiful imagery, is it not? Certainly, it must have been encouraging to God's people who at that time found themselves 
in another one of those deep, dark valleys. This is the reason, no doubt, that Isaiah describes the coming of Christ as he does in verse 5-2. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. Now, no mention is made explicitly here, of course, to the coming of the Messiah. It simply speaks of the revelation of Jehovah's glory. But then, Christ is the revelation of God's glory. We are told in Hebrews 1, verse 3, that Christ is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person. We learn in John 1, verse 14, that when the Son of God came to dwell among men, we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. In the face of Jesus Christ, we see the glory of God, because He is the Son of God made flesh. When Isaiah prophesies that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, therefore, he refers to the time when God's glory will be revealed in the birth of his Son, and all flesh shall see God's glory in him. At the darkest point in all of history, when it looked as if the way to Christ's coming was absolutely impossible, that it was totally blocked, God would make the way easy and smooth in order that the glorious Christ could be revealed. But what is this glory Christ reflects in his person and coming? How is he the glory of Jehovah? Well, dear listener, God's glory is the shining forth of all of God's virtues. If our finite eyes were able to see God, His perfections would altogether shine forth brightly as a light from His being, so brightly that it would blind us. Such is God's glory, the effulgence of all His virtues. Peter, James, and John saw that in the face of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That's why they threw themselves to the ground and hid their eyes all of these virtues of God would be seen in the face of the coming Christ. God's mercy and truth, His faithfulness and love, His righteousness and grace, and so on. Our God is Jehovah. He changes not. And therefore the sons of Jacob are not consumed. How thankful we are for that. If God changed His mind about us, every one of us would be consumed. The church would never have made it to the coming of Christ. But God never turns away from His promise to save His people. He is always faithful to the promises He makes. That faithfulness of God is revealed in sending Christ to be born. At the cross of Christ, God reveals to His people His grace, the power by which He delivers us from sin and death. At the cross... God's justice is satisfied. His mercy is revealed towards sinners in Christ. The coming of the Messiah was the light of God's glory that now, that now encouraged the Old Testament saints of Isaiah's day to continue to walk through that valley of darkness. There is more. This glory of the Lord would be revealed not just to the Old Testament saints, but would be seen by all flesh together, Isaiah says. 
the Messiah would come for every people, nation, and language of this earth. And he would save his church universally. This prophecy then goes far beyond the simple earthly appearance of Christ. Obviously, not all flesh was made to see Christ's glory while Christ walked on the earth. The prophecy of our text has reference, therefore, to the entire New Testament era. It would be during this time that all flesh would be made to see the glory of Jehovah in the face of Jesus Christ. And more, all flesh shall see that glory together. In other words, one day all of God's people will be gathered together from out of all flesh, and together they shall look upon the glory of God in the face of Christ. And that will take place when Jesus Christ returns from heaven in his second coming. And that day all of God's people will be gathered together as one by the returning Lord of heaven and earth. And God's glory shall be revealed to all flesh together in heaven. But how could the saints in Isaiah's day be sure of the birth of Christ? How can the church today be assured of Christ's return at the end of time? Isaiah informs us, because the mouth of Jehovah has spoken it. Can anything be more sure than if God himself speaks this word? Christ comes again, just as God fulfilled his promise to the Old Testament saints in the birth of Christ, so also will he fulfill it in the second coming of Christ. God's word is sure, as unchangeable as he is unchangeable. What an amazing word of comfort to the few faithful saints of God in Isaiah's day who are still looking for and hoping for the birth of Christ. They saw nothing more than treacherous and steep ways for the church then, and they pined away in despair. Now Isaiah comes to them and says, God will make the way open and plain for the coming of the Messiah. His glory shall be revealed. Do not worry. Do not fret. It shall all happen in due time. You can be reassured of this, because the mouth of Jehovah, your faithful God, has spoken it. He spoke it before, and he speaks it now. God will fulfill it. He will. There is no need to doubt it. Just cling to that promise by faith. When God's people heard that word of the Lord, they were comforted. Now their waiting would be renewed. God's glory would be revealed in Christ. With that same comfort, we rejoice today, fellow believers. Again, it seems as if the forces of darkness gather and would overwhelm the church. So much sin in the world and so much turning from God, even in the church. But Christ comes, and the way will be made straight. We too cling to God's promise. God's glory shall be revealed again in Christ's return. Your warfare is accomplished, and your iniquity is pardoned. Prepare the way for Christ's return, and be comforted. Let's pray. Our great and glorious God and Father, 
we bow in thy presence, because we know that all things are in thy hands. And thou wilt accomplish thy will and thy good pleasure. Thou hast done that with thy Old Testament church, in the sending forth of thy Son into this world to be born of a virgin. We're thankful that we can commemorate that at this time of the year, too. Thankful for what thou hast accomplished through him for thy church. And in hope we look for the return of Jesus Christ from heaven too. Bless us now with the knowledge of the gospel that we have learned again in this day. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. The gospel message you have just heard was sponsored by the Protestant Reformed Churches through its radio program, The Reformed Witness Hour. We hope that you have been edified and encouraged by this message. If you would like more information about the Reformed faith or the Protestant Reformed churches, feel free to visit our website at reformedwitnesshour.org or email us at mail at reformedwitnesshour.org.